Good morning, Calvary. So as Ben mentioned, we are starting our Advent series, and that means we'll be taking a pause in the Gospel of Mark. And yet in many ways, it really isn't much of a pause, because Mark, we were looking at fix our eyes on Jesus, and we will still be fixing our eyes on Jesus, but we'll be looking toward him. We'll be looking to the future, anticipating him in the book of Isaiah. And so I love the title of it, of Beholding the Messiah. So in many ways, the series is continuing. We're just going to be doing it in Isaiah, so the Gospel of Mark. Every year, my wife and I make our way to H&R Block to get our taxes done. I know there are some out there who love doing TurboTax or doing a free option, and good for you. That's not me. I, I am too anxious and fearful with all that stuff. I just go in there. You know, pay however much it is, and H&R Block does it for me. And one of the reasons I do that is I feel like it gives me this sense of kind of security in that, because like these are the professionals, and then they make all these nice promises that if something gets messed up, if they make a mistake, they'll fix it. So like if they somehow have an oversight and I actually owe the government money, they'll take care of that. And I think what H&R Block and other companies like that are tapping into is this desire we all have for security. And it's a desire that is especially acute in times like today. In the face of a crisis, in the face of uncertainty and challenge, we long for security. And that's the question we'll be answering today. It's where can we find real security? Where can we find real security especially in the face of a crisis, and especially in the face of uncertainty. And the passage that we'll be looking at is Isaiah chapter 7, verse 10 through 17. And I want to front load this a little bit. And so if you are a note taker, this is a time to take a note. So what you need to remember is this, that because God is with us, we should stand firm in faith. Because God is with us, we should stand firm in faith. And that's especially true, again, in the face of a crisis. So let's just start by reading the passage, and then I'll set up where we'll be going. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 10 through 17. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol, or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men, that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah the king of Assyria. 
Now, one of the challenges with a book like Isaiah or Jeremiah or any of the major prophets is that there are a lot of elements in those books that are very confusing. And that if you take a passage like this and you don't understand the bigger context, it's going to be so easy to get confused and get lost. And so for this sermon, it's going to be a little bit different than some of my other ones that you have been used to. And the first part, we need to answer some confusing questions first. And so this front part is going to be a little bit more academic. I think most of you will not like that. I think Paula will like it, but I think most of you won't. So this first part, we're going to set up the context and answer some of the confusing questions. And I, and I want you to hang in there because I know it's going to be hard, but I think it's going to be worth it to answer those questions first and then get into the heart of the sermon. So the three questions, as I looked at this passage, that were very confusing to me on just the first read-through is this. First, who is Ahaz in verse 10? Second, why does he get in trouble when he seems to do the right thing? Right? He says, I'm not going to test the Lord. I'm not going to ask for a sign. Right? That sounds like what Jesus said when Satan tempted him. So, right, isn't that the right thing to do? But Ahaz gets in trouble. So who is Ahaz? Why does he get in trouble? And then third, what on earth does this sign mean that the Lord gives Ahaz? So who is he? Why does he get in trouble? And what does it mean? And so that really is going to be the intro. It's going to be a long introduction. And then we'll get into the heart of the sermon. So first, who is Ahaz? Right, verse 10, we read about him. The Lord spoke to Ahaz. So Ahaz is the king of Judah. And at this point in Israel's history, the kingdom of Israel is split into two kingdoms. There is a northern kingdom, which is called Israel, and then the southern kingdom, which is called Judah. And if you've been a Bible reader your whole life, you should know how this happened. So imagine you have King David first. He does a pretty good job. Then you have Solomon. He does an okay job. But after Solomon, Solomon's son is the king, and he does a terrible job. And the kingdom gets split into these two kingdoms. Israel, also called Ephraim, that showed up in the passage. It's just another way for Israel. So Israel or Ephraim, and then the southern kingdom, Judah. Okay, so that is who Ahaz is. He is the king of Judah. Now, why does he get in trouble? Verses 11 through 13. Let's just read that again. It says, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he, Isaiah, the prophet, said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? So what's going on? Ahaz is in the middle of a national crisis. He's facing a challenge, and he's facing great uncertainty. And the crisis is this. The northern kingdom of Israel has teamed up with another nation, Syria, to invade and conquer Judah. And Ahaz is very afraid. For instance, let's go back to verse 2 in chapter 7. We read this about Ahaz. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of of the peop- and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. So Ahaz and the people are very afraid about what is going on and what may happen. And because of this, 
Isaiah the prophet, and God, they both know, and Isaiah knows because ultimately God knows that Ahaz is very afraid and he will be tempted to put his trust into a different kingdom, the kingdom of Assyria, for help. Ahaz is going to be tempted to look to Assyria to deliver him from his enemies, from Israel and Syria. And so the question that is before Ahaz is, will you trust God or will you put your trust in a nation or in a ruler? And that's what Isaiah is bringing to him. Isaiah is trying to exhort Ahaz, don't put your trust in Assyria. Trust God. He can and he will deliver you from your enemies. And so if we go back a verse to uh, verse 9, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 9, we see Isaiah saying this. He tells Ahaz, if you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. So he's trying to exhort Ahaz to have his fear give way to faith. He wants his fear to give way to faith and to trust that God can deliver him. And so then we get to our passage, verses 10 through 17. And now this is why God offers a sign to Ahaz. The point is this. Ahaz is afraid and God knows it. And so God lovingly and graciously tells him, ask for a sign. Ask for something that will strengthen your faith that will help your fear give way to faith so that you will trust me and not trust in Assyria. So that's why Ahaz gets in trouble. Because if you look at verse 11, the first word is ask. That's a command from God. So Ahaz is in direct disobedience when he doesn't ask. And he conceals his answer in this sort of pseudo-spirituality. But in reality, He is disobeying God. God has told him to ask for a sign to strengthen his faith, and he doesn't. And what it reveals is that in the end, Ahaz already has made up his mind. He has already decided to trust in Assyria. Well, that brings us to that third question. Well, what on earth does this sign mean? Ahaz says he doesn't want a sign, but God's going to give him one anyways. So we see that in verses 14 through 17. Let's read that one more time. Verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house Such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah. Or he's referring back to when the kingdom was split in two. It's going to be worse than that. Why? The king of Assyria. So one of the challenges with this is that with this sign, there is a double fulfillment going on. There is a fulfillment in Isaiah's day, in the day of Ahaz, And there's going to be a future greater fulfillment to this sign. So let's look at the present one. In the present day, what does this sign mean? In some sense, it's pretty simple and straightforward. What Isaiah is telling Ahaz is this. If a woman were to become pregnant and have a son, before that child reaches the age of 13, and I get 13 from the idea where it talks about this child refusing the evil and choosing the good. That's a Jewish idea, right? You come to age 13, that's like 
coming of age. That's when you kind of make the big boy, big girl choices of life. That's where I get that from. He's saying before this child reaches the age of 13, those two kingdoms that you are afraid of will be deserted. They'll be gone. And that's why this child is going to eat curds and honey. Because what he, what he is saying is that those nations will be so depopulated that those who are left will have an abundance of food. There's hardly anybody left, but the people that are left will have sort of the pick. They get this sort of rich royal food of curds and honey. However, Isaiah goes on, despite that, your plan to trust in Assyria will backfire on you. It's going to be worse for you than the day when the kingdom was split in two. Okay, so that's my really long introduction. You're welcome. We're done. So now we can get into the heart of this sermon. And as we make this transition, what we need to realize first is this, that Isaiah, sorry, Isaiah, Ahaz, gives us an example. And he provides for us an example of what not to do. Ahaz did the wrong thing. He did not trust in God. The question before Ahaz, if you remember, was, will you trust God or will you trust in Assyria? And God is asking us that same question. What is your Assyria? It could be your family. It could be your job. It could be hand sanitizer. It could be vitamins. It could be anything. But the question is, will you trust in God or will you trust in Assyria? And so, to put this positively, Ahaz, we should not follow his example. So then what should we do? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because that's what we're going to be looking at. And that goes back to that first point, that note you all should have put in your notebook, that because God is with us, we should stand firm in faith. And we're going to have three reasons why we should stand firm in faith. And these reasons are going to lay the foundation for why we should stand firm. And so the first reason is that because the God who is with us cares for us, we should stand firm. The second reason is that because the God who is with us knows the future, we should stand firm. And finally, because the God who is with us does the impossible, we should stand firm in faith, especially in the face of uncertainty and crisis. So first reason, first part of the foundation Because the God with us cares for us, we should stand firm. We see that back in verses 10 and 11. And we see that there because, again, God knows Ahaz is afraid. And God is very caring and loving that he offers to him a sign to strengthen his faith. That God cares for Ahaz. And of course, Ahaz doesn't take him up on that. He says no. But the good news for us is that God also has given us things to strengthen our faith. One of those is this, the church. He has given you one another to strengthen each other in your faith. He has given you his word. He has given you prayer. He has given you communion and baptism. All these different things to strengthen your faith so that you will stand firm in the face of crisis. Because God cares for us, any anxiety, any fear you have, you can cast on him. Because he cares for you. Sometimes I think of it this way. When I'm playing with my kids, they love to jump into my arms. They'll be on the couch, and they'll jump into my arms. And sometimes when I watch them really carefully, there's always this moment where they sort of hesitate before they jump. And I like to think in their minds, you're right, they're afraid. They know if they jump and I don't catch them, it'll hurt. 
And so they're afraid. But at some point, their fear gives way to faith. Because they know that Papa cares for them and that I will catch them when they jump. And so eventually that fear gives way to faith and they trust me and they jump. And I catch them. That's awesome. Well, in the same way, because God cares for us, that fear can give way to faith. We can stand firm in faith. And Calvary, what we need to be asking for us is, who is that person in the body that needs to be reminded that God cares for them? Who can you think of that, man, that person needs to know that God cares for him or her? For instance, if you're asking that question, you might be thinking, well, that's me. Well, you're in luck, because I want this to be that message for you, that God cares for you. And because of that, we don't need to fear, but our fear can give way to faith. Second part of the foundation, because the God who is with us knows the future, we can stand firm in faith. We see that in verses 15 through 17. Remember in those verses, that is when Isaiah tells Ahaz that in less than 13 years, those kingdoms will be deserted and Assyria will backfire on you. So Isaiah knows the future because God knows the future. He knows what will happen. And in fact, this is only good news and a good reason to stand firm because God does care for us. If God didn't care for us, it would be pretty irrelevant if he knew the future. That wouldn't really help. But because we know that God cares for us and that he knows the future, we should stand firm in faith, especially when we face uncertainty. One of the things that always amazes me, and to borrow a phrase from Pastor Ben, one of the things that is laughable is that we as humans are terrible at predicting the future. We don't know the future, and yet we just we long for it. We crave to know the future. It gives us a sense of control, and yet we don't know. Think back to 2016. Nobody thought Trump would win. All the experts, all the pollsters thought Hillary's going to win. It's going to be a slam dunk for Hillary. And of course, she didn't win. I mean, if you ask Hillary, she was really sure she was going to win, and she didn't. And the point is, we don't know the future. We can't predict the future. Think about COVID as well. How many times have we heard something to this effect? By such and such a date, we will be past COVID. Oh, and then lo and behold, such and such a date comes, and it's still here. Why? Because we don't know. We don't know the future. We can't predict it. And yet we so often try to know the future. In the book of Isaiah itself, it's really fascinating because one of the pieces of evidence that God really is God, and not a man or an idol, is that he does know the future and that people and idols don't. In Isaiah chapter 41, you can turn there with me now, Isaiah chapter 41, verse 22 to 24, we read just that. Look at verse 22. Let them bring them and tell us what is to happen. Tell us the former things, what they are, that we may consider them, that we may know their outcome. Or declare to us the things to come. Tell us what is to come hereafter, that we may know that you are gods. Do good or do harm, that we may be dismayed and terrified. 
Behold, you are nothing, and your work is less than nothing. An abomination is he who chooses you. God knows the future. We don't. And my exhortation for us, Calvary, is that we would spend much more time listening to the one who does know the future than to those who claim to know it, that are just mere humans. How much of our time is spent listening to people who are trying to pontificate on the future, or try to figure out what's going to happen, and how much time do we really spend listening to God who really does know the future? We should be spending much more time listening to him. Because if you get to know that God, then that fear can give way to faith. And we can stand firm in faith. Finally, the third reason, the third part of the foundation, is that because the God who is with us does the impossible, we should stand firm in faith. We see this in verses 13 and 14 where we encounter the sign. So let's read that again. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. As I study this passage, I'll be honest, this part was probably the hardest part for me to understand. And it was because I kept asking this question. Why does God give this particular sign to Ahaz? Or he could have given him anything, right? You think about Gideon, he had his sign. But why does God give this sign? And to be honest, the commentators were not helpful at all because they spent all their time talking about, well, why does Isaiah use the word he uses that we translate for virgin? And so I'll let you into that just a little bit. But what they were talking about is the word that is translated as virgin here literally means something like young girl, maiden, or a woman who's of the age to be married. And so they're all concerned because there's another word in Hebrew that explicitly means virgin, and this one doesn't explicitly mean it. And so why is that? Well, a couple of things. First, if you were a young girl at that time, it was assumed that you were a virgin. Unfortunately, we live in a culture where you can't always assume that, but in their culture you could. She was a virgin. Second, look at the language in the passage leading up to the sign. Right? God says, ask for a sign. Let it be high as heaven or deep as Sheol. And then we get into these verses. He says, the Lord himself will give you the sign. And behold. And one early church father put this really well. He says this. If Isaiah were only to say that a woman would bear a child, how ridiculous would that magnificent preface have been? Right. The point is, if Isaiah is just saying, well, there's going to be a woman who's intimate with a man and they have a kid, that's not really a sign. That's like a Wednesday, you know, right? That's not, that's not that magnificent. So, yes, it means virgin. That's the right word. But that goes back to my other question. Well, why is this the sign that God chooses to give Ahaz? And it's this. Think of Ahaz's situation. He's looking at Syria and Israel, and he thinks, there's no way. From his earthly human perspective, He thinks there's no way of deliverance except to trust Assyria. He doesn't know what to do. There's no way of escape, he thinks. And so he feels like he has to trust in Assyria. 
But what has happened is that Ahaz has forgotten who God is. He's forgotten who Yahweh is and what he has done. If he would remember his history, he would remember the exodus from Egypt. What happened? God rescued Israel from slavery in Egypt. And they're, he's, they're, he's rescuing them, and they make it to the Red Sea. And if you were an Israelite, you would think, shoot, we're stuck. There's no way of escape. There is a sea here, and on the other side is Pharaoh. What are we going to do? There's no way of escape. But God makes a way where there is no way. And so God is telling Ahaz, you think there is no way of deliverance from these nations, but I am the God that could make even a virgin conceive without being with a man. If I can do that, I can certainly make a way to deliver you. That is the God that we know. And because that is the God who does miracles, he does the impossible, he can make a virgin conceive. If he can do that, we should stand firm in faith. He does the impossible. He makes a way where there is no way. And we need to remember what this word Emmanuel means. Should know it. it means God with us. That is what it means. And that future fulfillment that I mentioned earlier is Jesus. We read about it in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21 to 23. It says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Think of this for a moment. What could be more incompatible than a holy God and sinful people? You cannot bring those two together. So when we have Emmanuel, God with us, who is the us? Sinful people. How do you bring those two together? From an earthly human perspective, you can't. They don't go together. It's like oil and water. They don't mix. How do you bring them together? They don't come together. But the good news of the gospel is Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is the way. He didn't make a way. He is the way for God, a holy God, to be with sinful people. He makes a way where there is no way. That is our God. Jesus makes a way for us to be with God. This God cares for us. He knows the future, and he does the impossible. He makes a way where there is no way. So Calvary, stand firm in faith. Let's pray. We thank you, Father, for your word and the treasures that are there. If we would but trust you, rely on your spirit, and dig deep into your word. God, would you cause this truth to transform us, that you promise to sanctify us by the truth, and that your word is truth. God, would you increase our joy in Emmanuel? Would we delight in him and treasure him? Would we see him on every page of Scripture, and would it lead us to worship and praise you? God, would you help to prepare our hearts as we think about Christ, as we anticipate him, that we would be constantly preparing to meet Jesus. 
to be with Emmanuel, literally God with us. We praise you and we thank you for him. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.